I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, welcome on today's episode of Partially Excited. We've got the awesome Heather Barry, all the way from I don't know where anywhere in the world, but we'll eventually figure out and uh, see where she's from, grew up, and how she makes amazing coffee, networking, and so on. Hello, welcome to the show, Heather. How are you doing today? Very, very well. And thank you so much. Yes. I think a bit zoomed out, if I'm totally honest. It's been one of those weeks, loads of meetings, but I think we all are a bit zoomed out. So I, I think, you know, any listeners will kind of, they understand what it feels like to be a bit zoomed out. But yes, other than that, I am very well. Thank you. Zoom feels like we're able to travel the world in our in our bedroom or our kitchen or our sitting room, but where are you physically? I am physically in the beautiful city of Chichester in West Sussex, down on the south coast, almost due south of London, just slightly wet, a bit west of due south, almost the sort of the far end of West Sussex, just before you go and head into Hampshire. Bit of a geography, but it's a very beautiful Roman, very beautiful. And you originally from there or where? No, no, I I have indeed travelled the world variously. Born in London. Grew up in South Africa, which is where my parents were from, and they, they travelled back there. I lived in Zimbabwe for a little while, so then back to South Africa. So I did all of my education in South Africa, finished my degree, got my little suitcase and all my possessions together and came back to, to live here in the UK. So, um, and I've been in sort of Ox- Oxfordshire, Sussex and London for the last 35 years. Why South Africa? Why South- do you live in South Africa? My parents, both my parents were born were born out there. Um, so all my grandparents are British. My parents are both South African, all born there. So yeah, so it was very much um, after I was born here in the UK, my parents decided to go back back to South Africa. I was very unwell when I was born. So I think my parents wanted to go, wanted to go where the family was, yeah, just because I wasn't well. And um, so yeah, so they went back there. So I, otherwise life might've been quite different. I could have grown up here or Canada or anywhere, quite frankly. I got, I got to have a, 
an upbringing in South Africa, which was sort of interesting times, I have to say. At that time, it must have been very interesting because of this beauty was happening in South Africa. But what, what was life like living in South Africa at that time? For the main part of my sort of, I would say, sort of more conscious years, so sort of high school and university, we were slightly protected from it almost by the nature of of the regime and the press and the news that was there because they very much yeah there, there, there was a lot of sort of segregation but also segregation in terms of news and what were you allowed to see and hear so it was almost only when you were outside of the country that you really really saw what was going on because there was such control I was very young when I went to university and when I got to university there was a, this sudden realisation and understanding from my part as to what was really going on and when I got to the end of university I just sort of thought actually this is not where I want to be, it's not a country I want to be living in for, for a lot of reasons and because I was born in the UK it was relatively easy for me at that point to come back, come, come back to the UK which is what I decided to do. It's very, very conflicting because you just see the total injustice of what's going on in the world. And then you look at what you're then fed through through the media. And at that point, obviously long, way before the internet. So everything is just what you are fed in the news and the newspapers. It was very, very hard to get hold of the information as to what's really going on. It would be very different at this time. Yeah, with, with, with the access that we have to news now. What did you study in university? Uh, I did business economics and marketing with a sub-major in management accounting, which for anybody who knows me now, I'm about as far removed from and as accountant as you can get <laughs> in terms of my my personality and all the rest of it. Not, nothing against accountants at all. I've got some very lovely friends who are accountants, but it is def- it didn't suit me, didn't suit me. I, I did do it as a, as a job for 20 years. It never, never suited me. It sounds like a mouthful to just describe, you know, it's like sheeny, boring in one hand, but yet exciting and it's like, Oh, and getting your head around that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, and, and I, th- I think the great thing is is that now as an entrepreneur, it's brilliant because I have uh, yeah an understanding at least of the you know the kind of the, the the basics behind it, you know the the technical side of things of accountancy. I was good at math, so I did accountancy. My father was an accountant, so I did accountancy. So I understand the kind of the background to it all, which yeah has always stood me in good stead. I don't regret doing it, but I'm very glad I don't do it anymore. Do it that way. I, I get that feeling. I'm happy. I was happy doing it, but I'm on different things, and thank God I did that and it taught me some. Here we go. It's, yeah, you can't regret. You can't, we can't regret what we what we've done because it was the right decision at the time. You know, it 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 got me some very good jobs. You know, which which you know gave me gave me a career. But it certainly, I kind of knew as soon as I was doing the various jobs that I did was that this was just not something I could do for the rest of my life. There's just no way. So um, entrepreneurship has always been part of certainly both, both sides of my family, both my parents' families, lots of people who run their own show. I've I've run a, run a business of, of some description since I was five. So I've always been an entrepreneur. I guess uh, five selling lemonade on the, on the street was your business, right? Not quite, not quite. We um, we sold. It was it was business with my sister, and um, we sold eggs. So it was it was very sweet because my father. We had chickens. Basically, obviously, my father had paid for the chickens and the chicken hutches and the food. Uh, one of the guys that worked for him helped us look after them. But my sister and I collected the eggs, and then we sold them to my mother. <laughs> so my dad paid for them kind of twice over. But, you know, it taught us the value of money and it taught us how to, to look after, you know, creatures. So it, it was a very good lesson. As I say, yes, it, it wasn't a fully functioning business. 
wasn't a saleable business. But it, it, it both, um, both my sister and I run our own businesses. Yeah, as I said, it's, it's very much, it's in the blood. I guess from the age of five onwards, businesses were like the way people, you know, go out and play street and football. That was your version of football in some way, right? Yeah, did a lot of sport as well. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't that focused. Um, I yeah, I did did lots of different things in music and so on. But yeah, I was definitely it, it was it was always there in the background. Very very good at counting my pocket money and making sure I had enough for it. Did you do music? I did up until the age of twelve. I did. Um, I played the piano and I was quite good at it. But I preferred doing other things. I get bored, so <laughs> I stopped. Uh, yeah, played hockey, did other things. I don't think I could have be, ever been a concert pianist by any stretch, but I did enjoy playing it, and it's one of those—it's one of those things. It's on the list to get back to at some point in time. I, I just imagine Heather Barry, the the constructing piano of Chopin and all these things. I think you'd be fantastic. It sounds like you were, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I do like. It. I, in fact, well, I, I I love listening to me, love listening to it now. But yeah, I again, I just it was the sitting down and practicing every day that just did for me. You know, it was always a, a source of tension that you had to practice every day. Boring, other things, other more exciting things to be doing, like field hockey or going out and being fresh air. You yeah, know? exactly. Running businesses and playing hockey and doing doing fun things, not practicing piano. It's interesting how when we're at that age, some stuff we find boring, but when we get older, it's like, I must get back to that, you know? I know. And I think it's, it's, I think music is actually one of those things, I think, for a lot of people, yeah, for what for whatever reason, yeah, and, yeah, unless you are good enough that it then becomes part of your, becomes your career, or you're good enough that you kind of play in a band and have some fun with it, or you just, just leave it, abandon it completely. And of course, a piano is not something you can kind of just take up, you've got to have room for a piano. Unfortunately, I don't have room for a piano in my house, which is a pity, but I, I will. One day I will. I'll have to go and have lessons again because it's over 40 years since I played. I think there's a file in that, that head of yours that once you sit down on the piano, you remember it like riding a bike, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a few. I think I, I still remember the first probably six bars of the last piece that I learned was a piece and I still I don't know what the piece is called I have no idea I, it would have to take somebody to you know who knows these things to, to work out what the piece is but I would love to find that piece of music and go and learn how to play it and there, there are lots of pieces that I love listening to I, I kind of go oh I wish I knew how to play that oh I wish I knew how to play that piano music is is my my happy place love listening to it and what would be your favourite uh, piano piece that you like listening to oh oh Gordon Bennett's Oh, it could be Brahms piano concertos, all the Beethoven piano concertos, um, piano, uh, Beethoven piano I love, uh, Chopin, Mozart, all of them. I like to listen to the full piece, not the sort of classic FM nasty, let's butcher it and only play one one movement. I want to listen to the whole piece of music. So yeah, so I have I have a very fine um, CD collection. But it's one of those things, again, you know, it's just like you, you kind of get busy and you, I, I kind of forget to just, you know, sit down on the sofa with a good book and listen to a nice piece of music. And that's the thing, we we forget, you know, we we live this amazing story and we've achieved so many things, but yet we forget to sit down and take the pleasurable stuff that we enjoy so much. Yeah. Life seems to be getting busier and busier. I mean, the other thing, of course, is that, you know, if, which I often do, if I'm working and I like to have some music, I'll literally just sort of, you know, I'll just go onto YouTube and just find one of my favourite pianists and choose a piece of music and just let that play in the background. Or you can go in and put sort of, you know, Mozart piano sonatas or Beethoven piano sonatas and a pianist 
and there'll be somebody somewhere has recorded like there's five hours of it in one long YouTube stream and you can just have that on in the background for the rest of the afternoon and it's lovely so I do that but as I say but that's while I'm working yes I need to remember to go and do it do it for pleasure sometimes (laughs) were your sisters and parents very into music when you were growing up my mother is a very good pianist Again, interesting, she's sort of gone, gone back to it sort of later in life as well. She, she's dabbled a bit more through, through her adulthood, but she, she was a very good pianist. My sister, I think, learned to play the clarinet. can't quite remember. And my father could play slightly more kind of jazz-type style piano. He never learned properly, and he didn't, he didn't read sheet, sheet music. He could play. He had, um, yeah, and he was, he was very good. Totally different style of music. No, nobody could play what Dad played. I don't, I don't know what pieces he played. <laughs> he made them up. <laughs> it sounds like you have a very talented musical family in some way, you know? Yeah, there are a few. There's a few singers. None of us is professional. I think one of my uncles apparently had the capacity to be an opera singer. Had my grandfather allowed him, he would have been an opera singer. So yes, there is definitely a musical thing that runs through the family. But as I say, none of us to that super high standard. But we all very much enjoy it. As I say, probably almost all of us are yeah, enjoy the sort of the classical end of the spectrum. And when you decided to do business in accounting, was that kind of based on influence of watching your dad do it and kind of building businesses over young ages? I think at the time, I think um, I was offered a... At the time, you could sort of study part-time and work with one of the, the big five accountancy firms and get paid to do your degree. And I think that that was kind of the charm. <laughs> and then in the end, I decided I, I didn't go down that route. But I think, yes, I think I think Dad had done it. There were lots of things I was interested in. I was interested in you know anatomy and physiology. I was interested in music. I was interested in hospitality, a lot about hospitality. I, and I really struggled to choose what to do. So I just thought, actually, if I do a business degree, then I kind of got the basics. I can then do whatever I want. It was almost a default. It wasn't a. It wasn't an act of choice. I really want to go and be an accountant because actually, by the time I got to third years, like the last thing in the world I want to do is be an accountant. <laughs> no. Having studied it, no. So I, it's one of those things. I'm pretty good at it, but it doesn't doesn't float my boat. I get that 100. You know, it's interesting. You think like you know, having doing business is like oh, I'm going to be in business for the rest of my life or doing accountancy, but actually, it teaches you something about yourself as well. And I wonder, going through that course, you probably learned a lot about yourself as well. I was very young when I was at university. I was finished by the time I was 20. And I I think in a way, I think hindsight, probably the learning was that really I'd done the wrong thing. As I say, it was was good in a practical sense, but there were other things I'd far rather have studied or just gone out into the big wide world and started working. I think would probably have been a better route for me. But again, you can't can't regret anything because it was the right decision at the time. And I think in other ways, it was good for me to have a bit of structure at university before I sort of, you know, left to, you know, left to go and find my own little way in the world. So, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I think probably the thing I did learn was that actually I hated things like law and so on, where you just had to sit and endlessly take in facts. I'm a much more practical person than a, than a fact person. Facts just form. I think you'd be better suited as a doctor and studying on the anatomy physiology and get to play with different things. You know, I get the feeling. Oh, I've, I, I have lots of friends are doctors. That's, 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 but yeah, I've, I've studied other things since then. And I've studied complementary medicine and I've studied nutrition and all sorts of things. So, you know, I, I have an endless fascination with, with things like anatomy, physiology, you know, human body, how it works. So I don't, I don't tend to sit still, really. Sounds like you've, you've a mind of curiosity as well. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's, it's a pity at the moment because it feels like at the moment, yes, I'm learning lots of new things in terms of technology and all those sorts of things, but it doesn't feel like it's feeding my brain in quite the way I'd like to be. You know, le learning how to do a new thing on Zoom, you know, it's good and it's helpful, but actually it's not. I'm a bit done in with, with, with all the techie stuff that I'm learning. I'd quite like to go back and learn, you know, other things just for the sake of knowing them. Yeah, there doesn't have to be a reason for it. I just like to know things. Instead of looking how to do break on rooms or rooms, uh, take a wheel out of a, of a car or, or take an organ out of someone and put a new organ, something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm a bit done with learning about tech. But, you know, sadly, that is the way of the world at the moment. And there's a, there's a steep learning curve sort of most days. But it does, it's a pretty exhausting. I know you have your current business now, but from probably when you left university to go, did you jump straight into accountancy or business? Yeah, just so 20 years, just worked for various companies, really, just sort of working my way up the corporate ladder, doing those things. The next job you get, you I just worked. I did a not very interesting job in nice, interesting places. So I worked for interesting organizations, different industries and so on. And I, as I said, I did that 20 years. I, I also spent about three, four years working in hospitality. So just training up to be a restaurant manager, that type of, that gave me some skills that I've, again, I've always used them. But I also sort of thought at some, there was a point in my life, I thought, actually, I've got this degree, I'd better go and do it, you know, go and get a proper job, which I think is what one of my aunts suggested I should do, get a proper job. So I got a proper job and did a proper job for quite some time. No, I don't like having a proper job. That doesn't make me happy. <laughs> so eventually I gave up having a proper job. I haven't done nine to five in the traditional nine to five working for one person Monday to Friday for 30 years. I've always done not quite full time and then had a little side hustle, always, always, always had a side hustle going on. Why did you find it like not to have a nine to five job? I think because I didn't really enjoy it, because it just didn't really do it for me. There was always that little something going on on the side just because I needed to have I was constantly looking for what is the thing that I really wanted to do. It just took me a very long time to find it. I, there's lots of things that I do now that I absolutely love, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to not do other things in the future. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty of years in me. Business will continue to evolve and I will continue to, you know, look for new opportunities and do new things. Yeah, and we're all different. There's some people who, who couldn't... I have friends who just... Are sort of horrified by the way I, you know, run my life because for them they want to have a good solid. I know how much I'm going to get each month, and I want a pension at the end, and whatever it is, that's fine. But that's not for me. I also wonder in having a uncertainty in your finances compared to someone that has a nine to five job, they have that certainty. Is that kind of daunting for you at times? Mm, a little bit, you know. Still got to pay the mortgage, but I think it makes it makes people for me. It makes me resilient and innovative for me that drives innovation so you know this year has been catastrophic in many ways for a lot of people it's been bloody awful but in there are positives in that that there, there are always opportunities and not as in taking advantage of the situation or taking advantage of anything you know we all have our skills and things that we can do the world has to be a better place after the, all this awfulness what skills and energy can I bring to that to help make the world a, you know, a better place at the end of, of what we're going through in 2020? And I think that's because I've sort of always lived that slightly on the edge life of the self-employed. It didn't scare me you know, this year. Yeah, it's been hard, 
but not to an alarming, scared point. I've got on, I've adapted, I've innovated, and I've got on with it because you have to. You know, you know nobody else is going to pay my mortgage for me. I've got to, I've got to pay it. <laughs> yeah, Rishi, Rishi ain't going to come and hand out any any more money to us. So um, yeah, I've got to do something about it. And I still want a business next year. You know, as we emerge, I want to have a good good business that is is something I can take forward and be proud of. You like living on the edge in in life. Yeah, yeah, not not totally. I'm not going to go and I don't. You know, I have no desire to go and jump out of a plane or anything stupid like that. That doesn't do it for me. But I like cycling fast on a bicycle. So you know, every, everybody has their little bit of risk. So I'm yeah, I, I I'm I'm happy to live with some risk in my life. But on the other hand, I don't I don't have children. I don't have children who are dependent on me financially. So I I, I can afford to do to be a little bit risky because it's only me at the end of the day. I do triathlon. There's I heard a story about there's some massive hill in Cape Town. And it goes about two kilometers, but I heard a story where uh, a tandem went at 95 kilometers down this huge, this, this lot, a huge hill. And uh, I wonder that um, what, what it's like, you know. I don't know the particular hill, but there are quite a few hills because obviously you've got beautiful Table Mountain in Cape Town. Cape Town is one of my favorite cities in all the world. I, I absolutely adore Cape Town. I'm very privileged to have spent, you know, many, many holidays in my childhood in Cape Town, family and so on. Um, this is a very, very beautiful city. No, the most ridiculous hill I've ever cycled down. And I mean, yeah, I am not I am not a high-end cyclist by any stretch. But I did a very big bike ride back oh, 20, 20 years ago, I think it was. I cycled from Los Angeles to San Francisco, which is 520 miles. As it happened, there was a headwind. So we had a headwind for the eight days that we cycled. It was very hard work. And there's geographically, there is more uphill than downhill on that particular route. You go up Big Sur and Highway 1, absolutely stunningly beautiful. But it was a, it was a hard ride. And there was one day, I think we started, I think it was out of out of Santa Barbara, I think. And basically you climb for two hours. It's a long, long climb. Just just up, a little bit down, up, 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 up. up. And this, the hill down on the other side was a 20 minute descent, which is a long way descending. It was awesome. And I had my little mylometer. To this day, I rue the fact that I didn't make 50 miles an hour. I did 49.7 miles an hour. 49.7 miles an hour on a bicycle, on a mountain bike, on a road is absolutely screaming terrifying but it was amazing <laughs> it was absolutely amazing and i just oh i just wanted to crack that 50 miles an hour but i never did but yeah got very close but that was amazing but yeah for some people that would be a, the most insane risk ever it probably i i certainly wouldn't do it now i don't think i'd be fit enough but anyway at the time but you know triathlon yeah i'm no runner uh, but i love cycling i love swimming but uh, not a <laughs> No, no, I was just trying to collaborate the, the hills and your cycling. That that was all. But uh, I wonder when you're doing challenges like that, it's probably teaching you a lot about yourself that you can apply to your businesses and, and life as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think so. I think, yeah, any any sort of challenge that, yeah. And even with that challenge, we, we were raising money for an amazing charity that looks after kids from, you know, from awful, awful backgrounds and provides educational support sadly the charity doesn't exist anymore but it was an incredible charity worked with these kids to actually just give them a really huge boost and that raising the money that we did at the time 
40 of us raised £85,000. That was 30 years ago, so that there was a huge amount of money that we raised. And I think, you know, that, again, that made me look at, you know, the companies that are looking at values. It sort of started to put values into my mind. It started to look at setting yourself a challenge. It started looking at, you know, that's what I want to achieve. How do I get there? So I think, yeah, absolutely. I think those sorts of big, big challenges it's, it's been a while since I did a, a big challenge like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's time to do another one. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, not quite, I'm not quite sure what it would be. I've been sea swimming recently in the cold, but not didn't go very far. Maybe I'll have to set that as my next challenge, a swimming challenge. It does teach you resilience, but also just the fact that I can do it. I can achieve, can achieve what I set out to do. And you've just got to apply yourself and get on with it. And don't give up. There, there were days on that ride from LA to San Francisco where we really did want to give up because it was we were doing between sixty and eighty miles a day. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, you know, it's 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 not huge. It's not huge distance. It's totally doable. But um, day after day into the winds, up hills. It was hard work. It was hard work. I would assume after that race, it made you talk about your own personal development, values, goals. It kind of nailed down a component that I feel like okay, this is actually who I am and to apply this to my business, this is what I need to go and look at and figure out. If I look back at the timing of that, I think that that was, at the time I was working for for a, for a company, I'd done quite well. And I yes, I, I had a little side hustle going on as, as I always have done. And to the knowledge of my boss, they did know that I had a side business because I only worked four days a week. So they knew I went and did my own thing on, on Fridays. I think that started, that was probably the beginning of that big ride, was certainly the time when I really started to think, actually, I need to start looking for the thing that I do for myself now, that actually the the nine, the nine to five, as much as I did, was just not for me. The, the sense of adventure, the setting my own goals, the, my own challenges, being in an organization with people who who didn't share my values you know that the company i worked with we yeah, just there was <laughs> there was no alignment and i think that re- that was a very big realization for me is actually i didn't want to work with people who didn't share my values um and i think that was definitely part of the the time which was like, time to do my own thing now took a while to get there it took me another five years but i did get there it's interesting how we feel like when we make a decision like that i want it now but it takes you know five ten years to actually get there mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't, I, I don't know that it did go, I want it now. I think that I want it now was that I want something different, but the, what I wanted was very, very unclear. I just knew I didn't want what I had. I kind of, there were bits that I wanted. I, yeah, I, I was an accountant. I had a good salary and, and, and all the rest of it. And there were bits of that that I did like, but the, it was it was almost like a sort of a scales kind of going the other way where yeah, suddenly that just wasn't enough anymore. Yeah, they say that they say that money, money can't buy you happiness. It's nice to have it. Of course it is. And it does buy all the basics and stuff that we need in life. It's how the world works. However, the, it, for me, the, the salary was, it didn't buy me happiness at all. Did you find your happiness when you decided to make that decision and over that those five years to see it happen? Yeah, I, think, I mean, it, again, it took me, I when, even when I left that job, I did I had to do some more accounting stuff because again, I hadn't quite found what I wanted. And it was, the, it was at that point then when I eventually, sort of five, six years later, where I eventually sort of got into the, the lovely world of coffee that I sort of started to, started to find my feet. And yeah, so it, 
it emerged gradually and then there was a bit of a conversation about one thing and suddenly we was like, oh, I could do that. And that was then the next business that I started, which was my mobile coffee bar. That was a big changing moment. And why the coffee? Um, I'd spent a bit of time in Seattle. I loved the kind of the coffee culture. Personally, I've got a heart condition, so I can only have one coffee a day. But I love, it's got to be good. If you're going to have a coffee, it's got to be good coffee. And for me, coffee, breakfast, trains, commuting, all of that lovely stuff. If it's going to be coffee, make it good. And yeah, there was an opportunity to just have a coffee bar, sell, sell people lovely homemade breakfasts. And it kind of went from there. So it was really simple. I love the, the sort of the cafe culture that was emerging out of Seattle. Kind of sit around, you know, drink a, drink a latte or whatever you have, whatever your thing is. And, things, and it was just starting to grow here properly. Yeah, we already had a couple of the brands were starting to had to start had established themselves their early days. But yeah, there were still plenty of opportunities for people for, for incomers with a with a moderate with a little with a little budget could kind of come in and actually set up something in the coffee in the world of coffee. So yeah, it was it was infinitely doable. It just shows you how powerful coffee was and is still, you know. Absolutely, it still is. It was, you know, it was it was very hard work. You know, learned enormous amounts. You know, you you buy the wrong piece of kit. You do this. You do that. You fight with Southern. Um, I did, uh, you know, all all, all sorts. Um, but I did it for ten years. And you you don't do something for ten years and get up at office four in the morning for ten years and unless you really really enjoy it. <laughs> Did you stumble across coffee on your travels and then realise there's something special about this I need to dig it more into? Yeah, I think it was more just in the, the sort of the Seattle experience. As I say, I mean, you know, we weren't, my mum loved her coffee, but we weren't a big, you know, coffee, hot drinks, drinking family or anything like that. So it wasn't, hadn't been part of growing up. The, seeing it in Seattle was the thing that really kind of opened my eyes to it and then coming back here and realizing actually there was there was opportunity and it could be for me I'd always enjoyed that sort of hospitality side of, of life um, and it was an opportunity for me to start something I thought actually this is this is good this is it's of the moment I mean this is where where is this 2006 seven thereabouts so yeah <laughs> it's about right I lose track of time. I know, yeah. <laughs> I've served a lot of coffee since then. I think it's like 300,000 cups of coffee or something ridiculous since then. Wow, that's a lot of cups. Made a few cups of coffee in my life. And it's a nice thing. It makes people happy, you know. What's what's not to like? You know, somebody's happy because you're there. I, I, the, the person who was my first customer at the train station is still one of my dearest friends. She literally, she walked around the corner into the car park where I where I was at front of the station. And you've never seen such a big smile in all your life because there was somebody with a little coffee bar to make her, her regular. We just became friends and we still are. <laughs> It's a long time since I've served her a coffee. Yeah, that's the power of it. It's the power of conversation. For me, it's the power of conversation. It's the power of connecting with people over a cup of coffee. And to this day, that is what my business is based on. Is that where the networking came from? Mm-hmm. Yes, I had the had the pop-up cafe and all the rest of it. But then as I got more into the wholesale, because I took on the coffee, the coffee roast became my own. And then, you know, you get more into the networking because you, know, you need to, to build up clientele. At the train station, people walk past you every day. So you don't need to do any networking. You're, you're doing it naturally just by standing there. 
But then it was just like, well, actually, I want to grow the other side of business. So I got into networking uh, and again, always enjoyed it. And then and yeah, and that's I've always wanted to do something more with that. And sort of lockdown has provided that opportunity. Um, so I've now got an online you know, networking business, but getting very focused around connecting with people, have a cup of coffee, stop chat. You know, it doesn't all have to be done at 900 miles an hour. That's the thing. People feel like I need, you know, go to not to 60 in two seconds and have this done, that done and this pitch and that pitch and boom, there you go, you know. Yeah, no, I've I've done some speed networking and that's quite alarming. (laughs) (laughs) From from a bike enthusiast and adrenalist and sorry to a speed networker. (laughs) Yeah, you have to you have to have you have to have a good double espresso before that. I tell you what, <laughs> you can't do it. Has the coffee business and networking taught you something valuable about yourself? Yeah, I think I think the fact that you know my my happy play. Yeah, I think that it's really just about understanding the things that I don't enjoy. You know, we always sort of say you know as an entrepreneur because you end up doing everything as an entrepreneur you do everything in your business and it's just like you know we're always scared to let go of the bits and pieces because it's our baby and whatever it's like yeah if you're not good at it or you don't enjoy it get rid of it give it to somebody else and it has taken me quite a long time to do that and anybody who's worked with me knows that I'm rubbish at delegating but I'm getting better and yeah I just I enjoy I do work as a master of ceremonies and I just I enjoy that and I think just admitting that I do like to I'd rather be running 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 the ship than than, than being part of the crews and that's great you know it's, it's nice to know <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy to be part of the crew and that yeah and there's lots of things that I do where I am part of the crew that's that's brilliant and I still yeah you know, it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy it but when yeah as part of my business yeah I want to be able to to be the front person be the master of ceremonies be the organizer yeah hell on mute um, what's called it on zoom you got the mute button it's marvelous farming <laughs> when like inspires you to be the master and commander of, of or the master ceremony of the ship um master master ceremonies i i sort of wanted to do sort of public speaking stuff always enjoyed did enjoy it when i was much younger and you kind of grow up and you, don't, you come off the stage don't like that anymore for a while and then you kind of rediscover it a bit like the piano and yeah, I just realised that actually I like to be the facilitator, a bit like you doing the, the interviews. I've, I've also got a podcast. I like to be that facilitator person, uh, enabling other people to tell their story. So it's, it's great fun. It's a gift to be given to, to be able to, as you do, chatting with people and enable them to tell their story. It's great fun. It's interesting how doing something like that is a gift, but people don't see it as a gift in some way, you know? Oh, I think, yeah. No, I think it's really nice to be able to, you know, enable somebody else to to just to do that, to, to, to say what what's in it for them, what they enjoy, what brings them passion and what, you know, it's, I mean, it's great fun. So, yeah, what? happy place. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like another version of meditating in some way, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm rubbish at meditating. <laughs> can't sit still for long enough. My brain, no brain, should, no brain, should, should, just breathe. Oh, rubbish. And I, and I know they say you should don't beat yourself up if you can't if you're not good at meditating. But I do, I do keep trying. I do keep trying to meditate. There's your challenge to learn how to meditate. <laughs> yeah, my challenge during lockdown was to do press ups. I could do those. Oh now. wow! So now the next one is to learn to meditate. Yeah, full press ups. Can't do many, but I can. I can do a few. That's an accomplishment. Accomplishment. Very much so. <laughs> Very proud of that. What's the name of your podcast? My podcast is called Unfiltered, as it would be, because it's all about. It's a kind of a random and inspiring chat with random and inspiring entrepreneurs. We just chat for 20 minutes. We have what they call in Sweden is Fika. 
is coffee and cake. And in Sweden, it's a wonderful, it's wonderful that the whole concept of sitting down for coffee and cake and having a chat with somebody is in one little four letter word. And so I have Fika with, with whoever I'm chatting to and we just have a rambling random chat and see where it goes. And yeah, I really enjoyed getting it started. Um, I've got a list of people getting longer, people I want to interview. We've got the first, first four up and running, so that's really nice. I'm just waiting for Apple to, for iTunes to grant me a link. Oh, yeah. Takes a while, but they do get there eventually. What's your favorite cake you like eating when you're having your fika with people? Oh, mm, I'm gluten-free, so, yeah, I don't don't eat cakes like the rest of people. Um, and, and gluten-free cake has only recently come along to be something that you actually want to eat, because before they were just dreadful and rock hard. But I think, yeah, basically a, a stunningly good chocolate brownie is is pretty much hard to beat. It's got to be good dark oh, chocolate. Oh, yeah, food. definitely. Can't beat the old chocolate brownie. Homemade. And chocolate and coffee just go beautifully together. So, yeah. But, yeah, I don't... I, you, you've got to be you've got to be mindful of the fact that actually, you know, sitting, sitting on your backside all day on, on Zoom means you can't have too many chocolate brownies. <laughs> I know, yeah. And what type of... Co- when, you're, when you have coffee, is it... What particular type of coffee do you like drinking? Well, it's always my own coffee, my own roast. I don't. Every now and again, I get given coffee by other roasters, and that's lovely. Um, but I know that my coffee's my my lovely Harry's coffee is is my own roast, and there's a reason I'm very very. It's very easy to to talk to other people and sell whatever they might the word, but you know, to other people when it's something you're just completely passionate about. I have total confidence in in what I'm serving. So when I at my little coffee bar, I have no doubt whatsoever that the coffee that I make for somebody will just be delicious, and that's a real privilege. Um, but yeah, I I drink just black coffee. No, just don't add don't add anything to my coffee. People is sort of come up and say, "Can you make me a guinea mocha chocker with a shot of you know vanilla and some cream?" No, can't do that. Don't do that to my coffee. Let's keep it simple. I, I make all the very, you know, all your coffee shop favorites and all the rest of it. But yeah, keep it keep it simple. You, you, let let the coffee sort of shine through because that's that's what you're paying for. Yeah, milk, whatever. So, yeah, my cafeteria and Zoom are the things I have used most during lockdown. Wow. They have kept me going. When you say you, you roast your own coffee, do you get you grow your own coffee, or do you get them as the green bean roast them, or what? Mm, yeah, so that, so green beans come in from Colombia. Fortunately, global warming is not that hideous that we, I mean, it is hideous, global warming is hideous, but uh, you still have to grow coffee in the temperate zone and we are definitely north of the temperate zone. Um, so my coffee is a is a lovely Colombian roast. Um, it's fair trade, very important. It's come back to the values we talked about earlier. My roaster actually does does the importing and the rest of it. That's fine. That's their skill set. They do that. So I, I have somebody who does my roasting for me always always have done they are exceedingly good uh they've looked after me for 14 years and um i know i'm one of their smaller customers and they look after me as if i am their biggest customer and for me that is worth it i've had various people come to me over the years and say oh you know could we take over the roast and so i'm very very happy with the people i deal with because i know that they will look after me and that yeah it's like that's like anything in business is that customer service is absolutely key you've got to look after your customers you do it's it's the cornerstone of of the business you know people think oh it's the product it's the marketing no it's customer service you know yeah you never forget how you 
da, da, you, just, you, you remember how you feel. You remember how you made somebody feel. I can't remember yeah, the first part of the expression, but you don't forget something. You just, you, but you never forget how it made you feel. It's funny, like your barber or your people, you, the people you go to on a regular basis, you develop mm-hmm. a relationship, but that relationship is based on Absolutely, services. absolutely. Um, I mean, if you go, for example, if you think, yeah, it, yes, the train station I was at, I was the only coffee person because it's a small train station. But yeah, if you go to yeah one of the London train stations or wherever where there's 10, 15 places to choose from, you could go to a place, and it's, it's really, actually, this is interesting. Um, a few years ago, um, a student from the local university was doing a final year project, um, and he came and he did some stuff for me, and he did, he did some research for me. I hate doing research. He did some research, and we were looking at why people go to certain coffee shops. So this is a static coffee shop, sort of, so this was in the city. I'm there hoping, because I sell coffee, I'm hoping that well, they, they'll go to a certain place because of the coffee that is sold. Anyway, he put sort of four or five different options in the poll and, and you know, in another section. And interestingly enough, the coffee wasn't number one or number two. I think it was, I can't remember. I think it was number three. And it was really interesting. And it was a couple of weeks after I got the results from him. I was meeting a friend, yeah, when we could still do that. I was meeting a friend for a coffee in the centre of town. And the coffee shop we had chosen to go to, the coffee was excellent. The guy who ran it was a bit of a muppet. Um, so the place had a slightly odd energy, but the coffee was excellent, which is why we'd chosen to go there. So I had in that particular one, and it was also, and it was that end of town. It was, you know, it was convenient for both of us to her office and my office. So that's why we chose that particular one. On the day, and it was in, it was sort of late in the year, October to November time. It was quite cool. But on that day, the sun was shining. It was an absolutely beautiful day. And the coffee shop around the corner, although the coffee wasn't quite as good, they had a patio in the sun. So we went round the corner, we went to the place with the patio in the sun. So actually, the quality of the, the, the coffee, it still had to be good coffee, but relatively, yeah, the other place was much better. But actually, it was good enough, but actually the place that it was at. So it was actually all these things feed into why we will go to a particular place or we will buy from somebody. So it's got to be kind of the whole experience as to why people come to you. So you've got to make it a really rounded thing. So don't just, so it's like, don't just focus on just one thing. So it's like people who kind of just focus on price or just focus on will deliver next day or whatever. You've got to, got to have a bit of everything because if you can't deliver on one side of it for whatever reason, so like the guy whose coffee, yes, he wasn't in the sun. Well, actually what he should have done is he should have had some more tables and chairs outside and he should have been a nicer person. And then we might still have gone to his coffee shop, but it wasn't a round enough experience to kind of lure us back. So I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's you've got to look at the whole customer experience. So the journey that they go through with you to make, you know, so that, so that it makes you all, makes you sticky, I think is the expression. So there's, there's, why would they go anywhere else? It's just natural. Yeah, as I say, it just has to be a whole, uh, a, a whole rounded experience. So, Heather, um, if you had a superpower, what would it be? <laughs> I've always wanted to, you know, like they do in Star Trek, and they just tap that little, that little communicating thing on their, on their left chest, and they do the, uh, the transporter, and they just go from there to there. That would be my superpower. So that would be what that would be my just my personal. So I could just tap a little thing, and I could be at my mum's, or you know, go see your family, or be anywhere else in the world when you wanted to be. So that would be that would be a great superpower. But also, I think the 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 the, the power of persuasion to enable people to see 
you know, things like environmental things and that, that are going on in the world where people, you know, completely ignore what's going on in the world and just carry on regardless. You know, it's just like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep taking the water from this, this waterway or we'll keep polluting this and then still expect people to be able to fish there. You know, just, you know, and the people just continually putting, you know, profits before plants and place and people. So that would be my other superpower to just be able to enable people to realize, you know, that we've got to do something. So this is my other big passion in life. Environment, sustainability and all of those things. That's another whole conversation. That would be, that would have to be a big superpower to, to be able to get people to see easily and see beyond their own selfish selfishness. I see it as selfishness. If someone came to you and asked for your advice based on everything you've experienced from, you know, coming onto this planet to now, what would it be? I think that, you know, it's to allow your imagination to imagine the possibilities and, and, and the difference that you can make in the world. But also, I think, to, to get support from other people. I mean, I know sometimes you can kind of go, oh, I've had this brilliant idea. And if you ask six people who all know and like you, they'll kind of go, oh, yeah, it's a good idea. But it's just like, so get objective thing, but, you know, get support, get others to enable you to see that vision. And if you're, you know, it's, it's do the thing that makes you happy, the thing that makes you money. And then it's the thing that other people want to buy. And if you can bring all of those things and you're passionate about it, well, then you've got that sort of lovely, sweet, happy spot. And it might take you a bit of time to get there. But, you know, look off, look after the rest of the world as well as looking after yourself. When you're in a plane and they sort of say, you know, if the oxygen mask is released, look after yourself and then that will enable you to look after others. That's not a selfish thing. And I think it's finding that balance between looking after yourself, your business, the people around you, the planet. You know, it, there's, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot to be done, but don't be daunted by it. Like you said, look after yourself first and others will look after them. Yeah, but in a positive way, as I said, it's not a selfish no. thing. If I'm not fit and healthy and if my business isn't fit and healthy, then I can't provide for you know, the team and, and, and other people because then there's no business to look after them. So as I say, there's a, there's a balance to be struck. And with spending so much time in business, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? Oh, I think I think coming back to what we've just been talking about, for me, it's it's do the thing that you are you are passionate about. Because when your back's against the wall, if you're not passionate about it, you can't you can't rise to the challenges. I think we've seen that a lot in the last eight months. Is that for people who are, if you've got that resilience. But if you've got passion for what you do and for the positive contribution that you can make in the world, then yeah, that's the thing that you have to focus on. I think if you're if you're not passionate about what you do, it makes it really, really hard to get out of bed to do it in the morning. Yeah, you know, be be passionate about it. Find your passion. I know it's hard sometimes. I know it can be really like <sighs> and it did take me a while, but yeah, I got there eventually. Heather, if people want to find out more, where can they go? I would say that the best thing is to find me on on LinkedIn because that's where I tend to hang out mostly. So it's Heather Barry. Um, just find me on LinkedIn. I'll be wearing a hat. We didn't even talk about hats. I've got a hat obsession. Um, <laughs> there's a picture of me with a hat um, on LinkedIn. So yeah, that, that's the best place. And um, yeah, then we can see what it is in terms of the various things, projects that I'm involved with as to where we might connect, yeah, have a chat, arrange a coffee. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Heather, for coming to the show. And it's been fantastic. Wow. That absolutely flew by. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much. It's really yes, good to look back on, you know, what one's done. Nice. I'm so
hands up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.